page five, yes, 583, Psalm 84, page 583. To the choir master, according to the Giteth, the psalm, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul, soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word and pray that you would speak to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired one of the sons of Kor to write this so long ago uh, would, would be at work to give us understanding and open our hearts to receive your message. And we ask this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the Christian life is a God-centered life, or at least it should be. Uh, when a person becomes a Christian, he or she turns from being uh, self-centered to being centered on uh, God. Of course, a Christian is still a sinner, and while being saved by grace, there will always be a struggle to keep our lives centered on God, and, and indeed not to be self-centered. Our default position is always, isn't it, to, to go, become selfish and self-centered. And we have to continually reorientate our lives on God so that we're centered on him. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil all conspire to turn us from God to self and to sin. That's the battle we're always uh, facing and with every day. But a Christian will struggle to defeat this conspiracy and to center his or her life on God. And in this struggle, uh, the Psalms are a great help uh, to us. The Psalms express in the form of poetry the full range of emotions and experiences that a believer can have in this world. And what's striking about the Psalms is their God-centeredness, their God-centeredness. That's what is so characteristic of the Psalm we're looking at this morning, uh, Psalm 84. Without doubt, this is one of the most beautiful uh, Psalms. Uh, It's a pilgrimage Psalm, probably written for the Israelites to sing as they made their way from their various homes in the promised land of Canaan up to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals. Ed was talking about these festivals uh, earlier. But these festivals in the Old Testament, where their trumpet sounds and so on, uh, announced these festivals that, uh, uh, that the Israelites went up to, the, the great Passover festival, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and, and, uh, and so on. And uh, at the heart 
of Jerusalem where the people went up to was the temple um, of God. Uh, the temple was of great importance uh, to the people of Israel. For the temple was the place where God was to be worshipped. And it was a place where God revealed himself. And the place where God was present among uh, his people. And therefore to go to the temple in Jerusalem was to meet with the living God. This is what the people anticipated doing at their best. Of course, many of them just did it like going to a festival, that out of performance and so on. But believing Israelites, those who are trusting in God, anticipated, anticipated meeting with God in his temple in Jerusalem. So how can this psalm help us center our lives on God? After all, we're not Israelites and there's no longer a temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else for us uh, to, to uh, go. I'm going to Spain this week and I was reading about Santiago to Compostela. It's considered one of the great pilgrimage centers of Europe and pilgrims through the Middle Ages and even today go there. But of course, it's not really a place where God is present in any special way in the way he was uh, present in the temple in Jerusalem. We don't have buildings like that for us uh, to go to. Uh, so how do we, what do we do? How do we go to God to meet with God? Well, of course, the temple, it's understood in the light of the New Testament, points us really in three ways. First of all, it points us to Jesus. Jesus said, spoke of his own body as the temple. He's the one in whom all the fullness of God dwelt bodily. He is the tabernacle, the one in whom God tabernacled among us, John 1, uh, 14. The word made flesh. And so if we want to go to God, we go to Jesus. We, draw, we, we seek to come near to the Lord Jesus. But the New Testament also speaks of the temple as a church. It's a dwelling place of the Spirit. Paul speaks of that in, in Ephesians, how the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God is uh, present. In a local assembly like this one this morning, or at ELT, Little Church of Myanmar, where we were meeting under circumstances of great difficulty, or in great assemblies of perhaps thousands, however large, however small, wherever they are, wherever God's people meet, God is present. But the New Testament also tells us that the temple points us to the new creation, that new creation where we will all be as the people of God after the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And of course, we're told in Revelation there is no temple there because God is there. The whole new creation now is the temple, the place where God dwells. And that's the place we're heading towards. So the, 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 the Lord Jesus is the, the, the temple. The local church is a temple. The new creation uh, is uh, the temple. And that's what we need to think about. That's, what we, that's where we meet with, with, with God. And so this morning from uh, this passage, there are three things I would like you to, to note. Three things we want to uh, look at uh, this morning. To think about what it means for us to be the people of God on a journey to where God is. Uh, particularly thinking of the journey to the local church, the journey finally to the new creation. So the first thing I would like you to see from this psalm is this, the Christian's longing for God's house. The Christian's longing for God's house. How the psalmist longs for God's house or his dwelling place, the temple of the living God. Look at verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now God's uh, dwelling place is lovely. 
both because it is outwardly beautiful. It was, of course. It was one of the most spectacular, beautiful buildings. And read the what, description of it in, in, one, in uh, 1 Kings and, and, and in Chronicles as the temple was being built, this beautiful, exquisitely beautiful building, a lovely building. But it was lovely not only because it was outwardly beautiful, but also, even more importantly, because it was beloved by God's people because God himself was there. It was beautiful because of the very presence of, of God. And with his whole being, the psalmist longs to be at that temple where God is present. Indeed, he is uh, somewhat envious of the sparrows and the swallows who make their nest in the temple. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Oh, how envious he is. little swallow can be there, but... Perhaps he's away, he's on his way, journeying to the temple from some far part of Israel. And, and here, the, the swallows are already there. They have their home where God is present. And he's even more envious of the priests and the Levites who serve in the temple. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Let me ask you this morning, do you know anything of such longing for God's house? You have that longing for the Lord Jesus but one in whom God dwells bodily. Do you have that desire to know God? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. you have that longing, that desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that desire for the church of Christ to meet with other Christians among whom God is present, to to be here this morning? with the people of God and here with God's people on every Lord's Day. For uh, that, uh, that is what the church is about. Of course, there are many other good reasons to come to church. We, we want to meet our friends and uh, we want to use our gifts and want to hear the Bible being taught uh, and we want to come to the Lord's table and so on. But of course, all those are means to the end, the means to the end of meeting with the living God. And that's what we want, should want to desire. That's what we should long for as we anticipate coming to church. Uh, this is the, should be the desire of God's people. Of course, we have to be honest about that and say sometimes we don't have that hunger. We don't have that uh, desire. You know, we, we get distracted by many things and think of things, other things we have to do, uh, and, and so on. We need to have this longing for God to be with God's people. The object of our meeting is not only to know more about God, but to know God himself, to know God himself. Even as the word is being read and being preached, it's not just simply to get more information, but meet the God, to know the God who speaks to us through his word. That should be what we're longing for. But even beyond the church, we'd be longing for that new creation. Do you do that? Do you have that desire one day to be where God is? We've just been singing to that, haven't we? Uh, uh, in that uh, hymn, I just noted it, so providential that I chose it. I long to be where the praise is never ending, yearn to dwell where the glory never fades, where countless worshipers will share one song and cries of worthy will honor the land. Do you have that longing to be there one day? Or is another hymn, I'm sure you sing it here, to do it with ELT, Great is the Gospel of Our Glorious. God And the second verse says this, Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the work of God's own holiness. It moves my soul and causes me to long for greater joys 
than to this earth below. And we can enjoy many things as go have a meal with friends and go on holiday or uh, do many pleasurable things. There's nothing wrong with those things as long as we don't make them idols in some way. God gives these good things to us for our enjoyment. But they're just foretaste at the very best of something far better, something greater, greater joys than, than to this earth uh, belong. They whet our appetite. They're like an antipasti in an Italian meal or an appetizer that whets your appetite for the main course yet to come. You have that longing, that desire, that appetite for the new creation where God dwells. Well, how do we cultivate this longing for the Lord Jesus, for his church, for this new creation? First, if we're honest, we, we sometimes don't have this longing of the psalmist. We read those verses and say, oh, I wish I had that. How lovely is your dwelling place? My service longs, yes, faints. For the courts of the Lord. How do we cultivate uh, a, a desire to, to meet with God's people, to go to heaven, to know the Lord Jesus more intimately and, and personally? Well, we need, if we're thinking of church, to, we need to prepare ourselves. We need to pray through the week as we anticipate the next Lord's Day. On Saturday evenings, we need to set aside time to anticipate, to pray for the service, to pray for those who will be leading, to pray for uh, the pastor or whoever is going to be preaching, to pray for all God's people that we come with the right attitude. We should be doing that on a, on a Saturday evening. Then on Sunday morning, anticipating the Lord's Day, doing that again. We need to ask the Lord for the right attitude to come to church. We need to meditate upon God's character and his grace as revealed in the gospel and particularly in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's as we know him more intimately and more passionately, we will anticipate with joy and longing coming to meet with his people. We need to confess and repent of our sins, and we need to let the Holy Spirit whet our appetites for the spiritual feast he has uh, prepared. We have the Lord's table here today. It's a spiritual feast. We should be anticipating uh, that, coming to church with expectancy. But we should be wetting our appetite too for the new creation. Thinking about that. We need to remember that our lives here in this world are so short, so brief, even at their very best the things that we have are going to pass away. But we have an eternity before us. A new heaven and new earth in which we will dwell in resurrection bodies with all the redeemed from all the nations throughout all of history together in a, 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 a world we can hardly begin to imagine will be like, it will be like. I think at the end of one of his books, Narnia books, C.S. Lewis says it will be like change, every page is better than the next the one comes before. It just gets better and better and better. Never boring. Never, you know, it's not just going to be an eternal sort of um, prayer meeting. <laughs> prayer meetings can be very exciting, but you know what I mean. It's not going to just be a just sort of sitting around on clouds drumming harps. It's going to be an interesting, colorful, exciting, thrilling, enriching experience for eternity and getting better and better and better, never, never getting bored. That is eternity. We need to remind ourselves of what the new creation will be, being with God, the eternal God, forever and uh, ever. So let, let, remember these things and let them uh, whet your appetite as you anticipate, as you long uh, for the house of God. But secondly, let's consider the, the Christian's journey to God's house, the Christian's journey to God's house. Uh, God's house or uh, the temple is not only the meeting place of his uh, people as a, a, as a local church, as we've been seeing. God's house or temple is also the new Jerusalem where we'll dwell forever with his redeemed people. And that's the house to which we are really journeying on our, our life. 
Yeah. And the, 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 every Lord's Day is a way stop, isn't it? We, we meet with other Christians on our way, on this journey uh, together. And that's why the Christian life has been pictured as a journey and as a pilgrimage. Uh, perhaps the most famous uh, portrayal of this journey is that of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure you've read it and, and, and or have heard of it. And it's this amazing story. This, this pastor from Bedford uh, uh, wrote when he was in prison for preaching the gospel in the 17th century. And he wrote about Christian's pilgrimage, his progress through this world to the celestial uh, city and all the challenges. And it's very instructive for living uh, the Christian life. Now, Christian may or may not, of course, move very uh, far for uh, physically in this life. Sometimes people do. They move around the world to some other place. But some Christians become a Christian someplace and they stay in the same church in the same neighborhood for the rest of uh, their lives. But whether you move a long way away physically or stay somewhere nearby physically, spiritually, all of us are on a journey to the heavenly city of God. Uh, the, the writer of the Hebrews brings this out in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse, uh, verse 13. These all, speaking of men and women of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, the eternal city, the eternal city of Zion, the celestial city that Bunyan wrote about. And this journey is described in verses 5 to 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. And as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. And they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God. Now for the godly Israelite, the physical journey to Jerusalem was also a spiritual journey. They had to set their hearts on pilgrimage. They had to have in their hearts the highways of Zion. They had an inclination, a desire from within to be on this journey. It wasn't just something they had to do, something they were told to do, something the law just said you had to do if you're a good Israelite. No, they have this desire this, to, to go on this journey up to Jerusalem. From within, they were traveling to meet with God in his temple, with his people. And so it must be with us in our journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. What matters is that our hearts are set on pilgrimage, that in our hearts are the highways of Zion. Of course, outwardly, we can look as if we are on this journey, but inwardly, we're, we're not. That's often the case. People are just outwardly look like a Christian, but aren't really Christians. Or perhaps they are really Christians, but they're, they're you know, backslidden in their heart. And they're just going through the motions, more or less. But the, the longing described in verses 1 to 4 is an inward disposition. I just ask you again, is that true of you? Do you have this longing? Do you have the highways of Zion? The highways of, of the new Jerusalem? In your heart, is your heart set on pilgrimage? Uh, you know, do you delight to, to walk in God's ways and to be on your way to the heavenly Jerusalem? Do you want, at the end of your journey through this world, to meet with the living God? Is that what your is that your ambition? That's the thing that drives you forward in your life. 
Well, for us to make this journey to the heavenly city, we need God's strength. In ourselves, such a journey isn't, isn't, isn't possible. You know, we just give up. You know, it's too arduous. Of course, you know, they're going up to Jerusalem. It's a lot of effort to go up and up and up and up to Jerusalem. And it is a hard way. Jesus speaks about the narrow way we have to walk. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's getting harder in many ways to be a Christian. And the fact that if you become a Christian or are a Christian, it's often harder than when you're not a Christian because of hostility and opposition and ridicule and things like that. And there's living the Christian life in a world that, in which the environment is so hostile to godliness. But God gives strength to those who set their hearts on pilgrimage, who have in their hearts the highways of, of Zion. Again, verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. Even in the most difficult and challenging times of life, God refreshes his people by strengthening them with his grace. Uh, verse uh, 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a valley of springs, the early rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. Now the valley of Baca there can be also translated the valley of weeping, uh, the valley of uh, tears. It can also be translated the valley of balsam uh, trees. But the, the Im- Im- picture here is of a desolate place through which the pilgrims are traveling. And it might even, you think, this is such a desolate place, such a dry place, it just makes you weep uh, to, to uh, be here. Perhaps you've been in a desert place where it's like that. It's just, a, it's just a dry, hard place. It's hot, and you just have to keep on going, and it's really uh, difficult. But there, God sends autumn rains to renew the pilgrimage, the pilgrims, as they make their way to Jerusalem. That suggests to us that in the difficult times of life, God sends his grace, the rain of his grace, to refresh us and to revive us. All of us pass through the valley of Baca at various points in our lives, dry periods, times that make us weep, times that are difficult and hard. Perhaps you're going through that right now. You've come this morning to sing, and perhaps you have these lovely great hymns of rejoicing, but your heart wasn't in it because you're, you're weighed down with problems of one kind um, or another. There's a problem in your family, perhaps a problem in your marriage or with your children or a problem with your finances or your health or whatever uh, it, it might be. You're just worried and anxious uh, about uh, something. Perhaps your job uh, is uncertain or maybe you've even lost it recently. And you know what it is to weep. You know what it is to be in the valley of Baca. And it's at such time that God sends his, the, the rain of his refreshing grace uh, into our lives. That instead of being a, a, a desert, your life becomes an oasis. Uh, something begins to bloom and, and, and be, to be uh, refreshed. I hope I get it right. I was just reading this the other day, so I hope it's, I remember the right passage. I think it's, it's uh, Isaiah uh, 34. No, is it? Uh, oh, um, when you think of something comes to your head and you haven't quite put it down anyway but you get these pictures Um, uh, yeah there is Isaiah 35 the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus it will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon and they shall see the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God you have this picture of the desert coming into bloom and, and, and so on. 
someone was telling me recently of a visit to, to Jordan where they were, and uh, they said it was just at the time of year where the desert was just nearly dry, just, just blooming. Everything is, is just, uh, just flowers everywhere. And you can see this. And this is the picture uh, we, ha- we, we, we have here. And as you go through this valley of Baca, you then turn it into a place of uh, springs, as we're uh, told uh, here. You make, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, a place of fountains, uh, a place of, refresh, of refreshment. You're refreshed by God's grace. And then that place becomes a, a place of blessing for you, but also a place of blessing for other people. You're blessed by God, refreshed by his grace, and that flows out from you. You can't keep it to yourself. It spreads out to people around you, people you're living with, people you're, you're working with. And as we trust in God, he gives us grace then to go from strength to strength until each one of us appears before him in Zion, verse 7. And do you notice there uh, how God's strengthening, how particular God's strengthening grace is? There is grace for each uh, believer. Do you see that? Um, uh, verse 7. They go from, strength to, uh, go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in uh, Zion. Uh, quite literally, it's something, it's, kind of good, it's something like this. They go from strength to strength. He appears before God in Zion. So from the they, it becomes he, or, or down to me. God's grace is particular. It's not just for God's people in general. It's for each of us in particular to give us the strength we need to become, go to Zion. What an encouragement that is. The Lord knows each of our circumstances. He knows the difficulties. He knows the valley of Baca we're going through. And he gives each of us the grace we need for those particular circumstances. You know, it's not just grace that somebody else needs for something else. It's grace I need, you need right now for the challenges, the difficulties, the valley of Baca that we are going through. And at the end of the journey, not one of God's children will have failed to make it. That's such an encouragement, isn't it? Each one will appear. He gives us the grace to persevere. He gives us the grace to keep on going in the dry valley, in the place where it's difficult, on that narrow path when we find it so challenging to live a godly life and to resist temptation and sin. But he gives us the grace to keep going. Yes, and sometimes we will stumble and fall, but he gives us grace to get up again, to keep moving forward in his grace until we reach, uh, finally, that place in Zion. At the end of the journey, not one of God's children will have failed to make it home. And so, with the psalmist, we can pray for grace for that journey, can't we? Oh, verse 8, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield. Look on the face of your uh, anointed. And who is that anointed? Well, he is, of course, in the context of the psalm, it would have been one David or one of the son, his, his descendants, who is the Lord's anointed, the king. But, of course, they point forward to the Lord's anointed, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our prayer is the Lord would look, give, look on the anointed at his right hand, his own son, the Lord Jesus. And through him, give us grace by the Holy Spirit to persevere, to keep on going. Behold your shield. Look upon your son. You've promised us grace in your son. Give us that grace, O Lord, to keep us going until I appear before you in Zion. What encouragement and hope that is for each of us, no matter how difficult the Christian life is, to keep going, because we will make it. If we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've been born again of his spirit, justified by grace, adopted into his family, 
In other words, we, if we've become a Christian, we will make it in the end, no matter how difficult it is along the way. And that brings us thirdly to see the Christians dwelling in God's house. The Christians dwelling in God's house. As he was looked at the Christians longing for God's house and uh, the, the Christians journey to God's house, but now we're going to think about the Christians dwelling in God's house. And as he journeys to the temple, the pilgrim anticipates what it will be like to dwell there. And such will be his enjoyment of God's house that he would prefer to dwell there than anywhere else. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts, as he's looking forward you know, to getting to the Jerusalem, to the, the city, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day in God's court, one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. Indeed, uh, the, 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 the psalmist would rather be a lowly doorkeeper in God's house than to dwell in the tents of the wicked where those are who oppose God live. For in God's house, his deepest longing will be satisfied. He will be with God. And so it will be with us as Christians. As we uh, not only um, at the end of our lives, but along the way, meet with each other, anticipating going to the very house of God. We'd rather just be, be among this church today. You know, we're far better being among God's people here. An ordinary person, an ordinary church, perhaps doing a thing, just saying hello to someone this morning, and out in the world with the wicked, doing what they're doing. But they're, of course, they're on their way to hell. They're, they're, they're lost. We're with the people of God, and we're going to make it to glory, and we're going to be enjoying the very presence of God forever and ever. We'd rather be a doorkeeper, rather be an ordinary person, doing the most menial job among people whom the world despises, than, than be with the great people of the world, and the rich and the famous and the celebrities and so on, who really just don't know what, the reality at all, don't have the living and true God. And together with God's people, we anticipate being in the joy of the heavenly city. And in the church, we begin to experience that, don't we? We begin to experience the blessing that we will experience eternally in God's house. And when we go, uh, we, we realize that, we wouldn't exchange that position for anything else. Would you exchange your position here this morning for being you know, some, with some celebrity somewhere or having power, exercising power, having vast amounts of money, someone who doesn't even know God. And yet here we are as God's people. We have more than anything this world can offer. Uh, John Newton, the great hymn writer and a pastor here in London and uh, ex-slave trader who became uh, the guy, the man who inspired the young, Wilber, young William Wilberforce to uh, campaign against slavery. He captured the sentiment perfectly in his hymn, um, in this way, Savior, since of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride her pity. I will glory in your name. Fading are the world's best pleasures, all its boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures. None but Zion's children. You know, not solid joys and lasting treasures. None but Zion's children. We, we, we have something unique as God's people something the world does not have. What a privilege it is then to dwell in God's house, to anticipate that now as we meet this morning. 
but on our journey to know that one day we will have that in all its fullness and perfection in the New Jerusalem. And something of what we will experience in that fullness in the New Jerusalem and have begun to experience now in the church is described in verse 11. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. Uh, the Lord is our sun as he shines the light of his salvation on us. And often we have that. The prophet Isaiah speaks about how God shines like a light. And we have the light of God's salvation shining on us in this dark world. Jesus spoke of himself as the light of the world. And in the new Jerusalem, the Lord himself will be the light. There's no, not only a temp, not a temple there, there's no sun there because the Lord God Almighty is the light of the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. Not only is God our light, but God is our shield who protects us from all evil. Of course, he's just spoken of that shield in terms of his anointed at his, at his, uh, uh, at his right hand. Um, put there. Let me find, find it again. Um, uh, oh, yes, uh, verse 9. Behold your shield, O God, who is the Lord's anointed. Look, uh, uh, and, who, and so the God protects us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the one who protects us. He is our, our shield. He is our protector in the Lord Jesus Christ. As our faithful covenant God, he bestows on us uh, protection. He bestows on us favor. As, CS, as, uh, as uh, uh, Spurgeon puts it this way, the Lord has both grace and glory and infinite abundance. Jesus is the fullness of life both, uh, of, of both. As his chosen people, we shall receive both grace and glory is the free gift from God of our salvation. What more can God give or we receive or desire? That's what we have here. He will withhold no good thing from us. He bestows upon us favor and, and honor as he protects us and shines the light of his grace upon us. There's nothing more that we could desire than this. Nothing more. As the psalmist says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. In Christ, we have everything we could possibly want. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Paul puts it in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Uh, right now, we are as blessed as we will ever be blessed. We not, not experience that. We don't experience that in this life. But we are blessed even right now with every spiritual blessing in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have everything we could possibly want. In him, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. All things are ours in Christ. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, all things we will be given in Christ? He will give us that. And the gift of his son is our guarantee that he will give us all things. For eternity, we will enjoy the abundant goodness of our God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, then, we can begin to enjoy this goodness as we trust in the Lord Jesus. Verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. By faith, the blessing of salvation described in verse 11 is ours right now. 
And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will walk before God uprightly in a blameless life. That doesn't mean that you'll be perfect by any means. None of us are. But that, that's impossible in this life. But when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, there will be a difference for good in the way you live. And, and that is evidence of the grace of God at work in your heart. And such a life honors God as you, as you anticipate meeting him in his house. And in the end, that is what God-centered life is all about. As we make our life way on that journey through this life to the eternal city, through the valley of Baca, making it a place of springs, we are blessed as we trust in our God. And he gives us all the grace we need to make it our way on that journey until he brings us home. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you that we have this glorious destination, this place where you dwell. We're on our way there. We're on a journey there. Each one of us, Lord, who's a Christian, has begun that journey at some point. We sang of that happy day. We made that choice. and We made that choice because of your grace, because in eternity you chose us. In time you called us. And we responded with faith and repentance. And that day we began that journey. And Lord, we know that one day we will make it. Even though we go through the Valley of Baca, you give us grace, you refresh us with that grace, so we turn it into a place of springs, a place of fountains, where, you, where we can keep going, refreshed by your grace, and knowing that you'll protect us and shine your light upon us, and you will bring us home. You'll give us every good thing we have in Christ. So encourage us, Father, to make, keep going, no matter how difficult it is. And you know the particular circumstances of everyone here, and there might be some who are really finding it hard on the journey right now. Give them strength as they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and as they continue on that journey. But we thank you for the fellowship of your people. Thank you for the church because we're not alone on the journey. We're with other pilgrims. And so, Lord, as we meet Lord's Day by Lord's Day with your people, may we encourage one another and keep going on the journey until together and with all your redeemed throughout the world and throughout history, we're gathered before your throne, the throne where you are present where the Lamb is seated, where the Spirit is there, and we will worship you forever. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.